So good morning, family. I hate to break up this party, but we need to have a seat when you are finished. I'm always grateful to be part of a church that is big enough to breathe, but small enough that nobody gets lost. Nobody gets lost in between. New people don't get overlooked, and uh, everybody reaches out. I'm so grateful. And so my name is Rock. I am not preaching today, no to worry. I am usually... Um, Oh, with a guitar as my safety blanket in front of me back there, but today I've been asked to do a reading. And just be aware that I am a stutterer. It is uh, not heartbreaking, but it is a hindrance. And so this reading comes from Luke 22, uh, verses 1 through 27. And the time was near uh, for the festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were af afraid of the people, so uh, they were trying to find a way to put Jesus to death secretly. And then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was uh, one of the 12 disciples. So Judas went off and spoke with the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard about how he could betray Jesus to them. Uh, they were pleased and offered to pay him money. Uh, Judas agreed to it and started well, looking for a good chance to hand Jesus over to them without the people knowing it. And the day came uh, 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 during the festival of unleavened bread uh, when the lambs for the Passover meal were to be killed. Uh, Jesus sent Peter and John uh, with these instructions. Go get the Passover meal we're ready for us to eat. And they prepared of the Passover meal. When the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table with the apostles. He said to them, I have wanted so much to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will never eat until it is given its full meaning in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took a cup, gave thanks to God and said, take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I will not drink this wine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a piece of bread, gave thanks to God, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he gave them the cup after supper saying, this cup is God's new covenant sealed with my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, uh, the one who, uh, who betrays me is at the table with me. The son of man will die as God has decided, but how terrible for that man who betrays him. And then they begin to ask among themselves, which one of them uh, um, could this be who is going to do this? An argument broke out among the disciples to which of them should be taught, uh, thought of as the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the pagans have power over their people, uh, but this is not the way, uh, this is, is not the way it is with you. Rather, the uh, greatest um, among you um, must be like the youngest, and the leader will be like the servant. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. I just put that mic back. Thank you. I'm Jeannie Berlowski. 
And I am uh, so thankful to be here today with my Hope family. Let's pray as we begin. For light and life that only come from your spirit, we pray. Amen. I want to start this communion message today in kind of an unusual place. In Mark 5, 25, actually, let's read and pay close attention to this brief little story, and then we're going to just kind of tuck it away for a bit, kind of like a lunch that you've packed up for later. So let's look at this woman in Mark 5, 24 through 34, and as we do, let's just think to ourselves, might there be a call for us in this Mark 5 story, especially as it pertains to communion? There was a woman who had suffered terribly from severe bleeding for 12 years. Even though she had been treated by many doctors, she had spent all her money, but instead of getting better, she got worse all the time. She had heard about Jesus, so she came in the crowd behind him saying to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will get well. She touched his cloak and her bleeding stopped at once, and she had the feeling inside herself that she was healed from her trouble. At once, Jesus knew that power had gone out of him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And his disciples answered, you see how the people are crowding you. Why do you ask who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman realized what had happened to her, so she came, trembling with fear, and she knelt at his feet and told him the whole truth, which had to be embarrassing. And as she knelt there, fearing the worst kind of angry rejection, Jesus said to her, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your trouble. Now, we're going to come back to this lady in a minute, but just before we leave her here, I'd like to point out one of her biggest characteristics. She got up right up close to Jesus, reached out to him, and intentionally touched him, even though, by all accounts and definitions, she was unclean. In this first century day and time and culture, women who were bleeding even a little bit let alone literally hemorrhaging, were not supposed to be anywhere near Jewish men, let alone actually touching them. And yet, she got close to him and reached out intentionally to touch him in faith that he could do something for her, and something miraculous happened to her. What a rule breaker this lady was. Now, Jesus also, Jesus was a big rule breaker too. When he essentially took the holy Passover meal that Jewish people had been celebrating in a certain specific way for millennia, and he said, hey, I'm gonna change all of this tonight. This is about me now. Hey, uh, you know that lamb's blood on the doorposts in Egypt? 
You remember that story when celebrating at the Passover over and over again? That was just a foreshadowing of what God's going to do for people when they intentionally wipe my blood, Jesus says, on the doorposts of their hearts. From now on, when you eat this meal, it is all about me. That was pretty radically disruptive. Now, speaking of being radically disruptive, some people may think that I, Jeannie, a, a big rule breaker this morning as I'm preaching about communion, you're going to hear me say this morning that you don't need a seminary degree or a ministerial ordination to serve communion, and you're going to hear me say that you can be a bad person, you can be a sinful outsider, and still be welcomed at the table to take communion. A little bit disruptive, for sure. But just stay with me here. Now, my Orthodox and Catholic and Missouri Synod Lutheran brothers and sisters would strongly disagree with me on this, I know. I personally had to take three years of classes and pass an exam before I could take the Lord's Supper as a Lutheran girl. And my cousin Alec, who became Serbian Orthodox, I can't even pronounce all the things he had to complete to become eligible to take communion in the Serbian Orthodox Church. So, a lot of huge religious institutions would strongly disagree with me. But here's where I get these radical ideas about coming to the table and taking the Lord's Supper. I get these radical ideas from looking at the example of Jesus himself. As he pours the wine and breaks the bread and looks around at his dearest, closest friends at the Last Supper that he hosts in Luke 22, as a follower of Christ, I have to take Christ's example and go with that. His example is what I look for. His example is what I long for. And so I go with that. So it's Jesus we're going to look at most closely this morning. So we're talking about disruption and surprise and a little bit about breaking long-standing rigid rules. The woman with the issue of blood, Jesus himself, Jeannie standing up at Hope Covenant Church and saying you could be a terrible sinner and still come to the table. Where did I get that idea anyway? Well, let's look together at Luke 22 and see who Jesus had at the table with him, let's see who Jesus welcomed. Who was at the table with Jesus? Well, Judas was there. And we heard in the Bible reading this morning that he was filled with Satan and plotting betrayal and murder, so he wasn't getting any Girl Scout awards. Now, who else was there? Let's just go through these people. Okay, so... We've got the lying, thieving, murderous betrayer who would do any evil thing for money who's about to hand over his dear friend to be tortured and killed. Okay, we got that guy. We've got doubters and cowards. 
We got one guy who's about to say a flat no way when Jesus said, I want to wash your feet. We've got people who were gravely mistaken about what the mission of Christ on the earth even was. We got people struggling with dreams not yet fulfilled and prayer not yet answered along with a bunch still arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Seriously, a motley group of misfits, if I ever saw one. You know, knowing that, I feel a huge sigh of relief. If this motley group of misfits can be welcome to the table, maybe I can be welcome to the table too. Me, with all my brokenness and my shortcomings and my doubt and my special kind of sin and my shame and my failings and the unhealed hemorrhaging of my own heart. I look at Jesus at the Last Supper and I think, maybe there's a place at the table for me too. Now, some people hearing me say from the front in a church that the most evil, sinful, broken, self-destructive people, even people who are full of Satan and literally plotting betrayal and murder, are welcome at the Lord's table, some people hearing me say that might recoil in horror. After all, I've read that scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul writes very sternly, a stern warning about people coming to the Lord's table and eating and drinking unworthily. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul takes the first century church people to task for coming to the Lord's Supper all divided and opposing one another and then gulping down their own food greedily without sharing with anyone and getting drunk at the table while ignoring the poorer people's very real needs, all while believing and speaking heresies. Paul thought this was a very big deal. Paul even said pretty bluntly in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Paul said, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, Come unworthily and you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord? That sounds bad. But wait, it gets worse. Two verses later in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul openly says, if you come to the table with this darkness of division from one another and not caring for one another's needs and speaking heresies, you eat and drink damnation to yourself. Here's the scripture. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29. Wow! And then Paul says in verse 30, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many have died. 1 Corinthians 11.30. Wow. So if I am not perfect enough, when I come to the table, God might cause me to get weak or sick, or he might kill me? 
Is that what this is saying? How do I reconcile this? Jesus welcomed the worst sinners to his table, but now, according to Paul, I had better stress and strain and make myself perfect before I come to the table, or really bad things might happen to me? The biggest problem is, I don't even know where the bar is on this. What if I have division with one of my sisters, and I don't even realize it? Exactly, tell me, exactly what is the number? How much do I have to give and serve others before I'm good enough to come to the table? How can I be sure I've not accidentally said something that a scholar would say is theologically inaccurate heresy? Hey, I'm a former Lutheran girl who passed the confirmation exam, and even I'm having a hard time with this. Denominations down through time have struggled with this same question, and to keep people safe from this whole weakness and sickness and death thing, Orthodox churches and Catholic churches and Lutheran churches have organized large-scale screenings and exams and vows and membership rituals and rules and signing off on certain theological beliefs, all systems carefully constructed to allow only certain worthy people to the table. But you know what? That never really works. Never really works, does it? You can screen and examine and require vows and membership rituals and theological assent all you want. And no matter what you do, you are still going to have sinful, ashamed, broken people coming up for communion. You're going to get people coming up who have failed and doubted and stumbled and fallen headlong into the worst kinds of sin. You can't screen out sin with examinations and vows and rituals. But here's what you can do. And Paul has the sweetest idea in 1 Corinthians 11. But let a man or woman examine himself or herself, and so let him or her eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Oh, that's what it is. We examine ourselves before we come. Hear me here. We look into our own hearts, and we get real about who we really are. And we bring who we really are up to the table. We get real and honest with ourselves about our own greed and failure and doubt and stumbling and our own rule-breaking and headlong plunges into iniquity. We get real about it all, just like the woman with the issue of blood who knew, oh, she knew all her years of self-effort toward healing and cleanness hadn't helped her at all. And just like her, we kneel before Jesus and we tell him the whole truth. 
And then we look up at the table and we see our Savior and our dear close friends all beckoning us to come. Come as exactly as broken and unhealed and needy as we are. We see this beautiful invitation and just give up the idea of trying to clean ourselves up all by ourselves under our own power. And all we do is come. We take a seat beside the Savior and reach out for fistfuls of the hem of his garment with our friends surrounding us. And we sense his virtue flowing into us, healing us, transforming us, and setting us free. We take the bread and the wine and we consume it. And in doing so, we say to the Lord, Lord, this is what I want. You and me, intimately, going down into my gut and then out into every cell of my body, mind, soul, and spirit, no part of me held back. And then, just see what this Lord might do. Just see if at this table we tap into Jesus and grab onto Jesus and trust in Jesus and rely on Jesus and believe in Jesus, adhere to him, lean confidently upon him with faith and expectancy and hope, not relying on our own self-effort. What might the broken body and blood of Jesus on the cross supernaturally do for us as individuals. If we do this simple act of sitting with Jesus at the table and we grab onto him with the faith of the woman with the issue of blood, we can feel grace and healing flooding us, transforming us from the inside out. And you know, what will probably be the greatest sign that we've been transformed? Our hearts will change either slowly or quickly, one way or the other, our hearts will change from greedy, power-hungry hearts of stone to soft hearts of flesh that genuinely value and love and serve others. I know this because this is where Jesus leads our story at the end of our reading in Luke 22 when he says, the greatest one among you must be like the youngest. And the leader must be like the servant. Plus, we have Jesus' words in Matthew 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is most important, second most important commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment more important than these two. Matthew 12, 30 through 31. This is what a transformed heart will do. All that love, I can't do that on my own. It's going to take a supernaturally transformed heart. His action in me is my only hope. And this is what's available to me when I am real about who I am as I come to the table. You know, I think this is why Paul says what he says in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, 
some of you guys are doing this whole Lord's Supper thing wrong. And because of that, many of you are weak and sickly and many of you have died. Paul isn't saying that God deliberately punishes people who don't do this whole thing absolutely correctly. I think Paul's saying that the greatest tragedy is people who come to the table and sit and eat and go home without ever realizing the astounding supernatural help that Christ provides right now. 2024, the help he provides to heal and transform. The great tragedy is people who come to the table, sit, eat, and go home without grabbing onto fistfuls of his garment and just seeing what might happen. Now, let me say a word about the table where the Lord's Supper is served. You know, it's not like that Leonardo da Vinci painting that you see. You know the one I'm talking about? You can, you can picture that Leonardo da Vinci painting. Now, has anyone heard this joke? What did Jesus say to his disciples at the Last Supper? Come on over to this side of the table, boys, if you want to be in the picture. <laughs> now, you know, the real Lord's Supper is not like this painting where it's all men and no women there. It's all grown-ups who are long past puberty. It's all people with the same hairstyle and the same fashion choices. It's all a bunch of men in dresses. It's all people of the same ethnicity. And people, some of the people are seated close to Jesus and others are at the far end of the table, craning their necks and trying to peer around others, just trying to get a glimpse of what's going on. No, the actual table where the Lord hosts his supper is not like this. At the actual Lord's Supper, we all take our place right next to the Savior. There is no distance from him. And when we take our seat at the table and sense the warmth and the breath of the brother or sister next to us, Christ inside of him or her, we are reminded we sit right beside the Savior. And as we sit right beside the Savior, we hear Jesus' voice saying what he says in Luke 22. Did you catch this when Rock read the scripture reading for today? Jesus says, I have so wanted I wanted so much to eat this meal with you. Note that here in Luke 22, knowing he was about to suffer horribly, Jesus didn't say, oh, I have so wanted some pain reliever to help with what I'm about to go through. And not just a little Advil or Tylenol. How about some general anesthetic, you know? Get out the big plastic mask in the 100, 99, 98, number 97, conk. How about some of that for what I'm about to go through? That's what I have so wanted. No. His greatest want as he went toward the cross was a fellowship dinner with motley misfits and betrayers and doubters 
and cowards and people chained to the worst kinds of sin, people who would do any evil thing for money or to get their own needs met, people who Satan has entered into and are ready to commit the worst kinds of evil betrayal, people who are gravely mistaken about what the mission of Christ on the earth even is. And those so confused about the teaching of Jesus after years of training that they're still arguing about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is what he wants. This is what he looks forward to. What kind of a savior is this? Who pouring out mercy draws us all into his presence to a table of fellowship with him and with each other? Who is this Savior who lets all of us motley misfits know that this table, as it says in Luke 22, is given its full meaning in the kingdom of God? Now, if you're watching online with us this morning, we're about to take communion together, and I invite you to participate with us. And so all you have to do is just go to your kitchen and just get whatever you can use for communion elements. Some people have used Pop-Tarts and Diet Coke. Whatever you've got, just go to your own kitchen table and take communion with us with the Savior sitting right there beside you. And you can just go to your kitchen and get those communion elements right now. Now... Jesus said, take this and share it among yourselves. That's exactly what we're going to do this morning. As we get ready to come to the table together, let's take a little time to ready our hearts, to reach out, to grab fistfuls of the best of what Jesus has to offer. Let's take a little private time to get quietly real about what's going on inside of us. And you can stay in your seat for right now. I'm going to play a song and give us some quiet time for reflection. And then I'll be back with some additional instructions. Outside looking in, this is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in. And just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for. And these thieves, 
there's no one unwelcome here And that sin and shame that you brought with you You can leave it at the door And let mercy draw you Come to the table